I am here with Edie Weinstein here on the Leftscape. Edie is a columnist who writes for or has written for many publications, including uh, Huffington Post, Elephant Journal, Wisdom Magazine, The Good Men Project, BeliefNet, and um, I'm sure she can tell us uh, some, some others. There's a lot happening. Um, she offers workshops and uh, all geared toward healing and positivity. She's certified in offering laughter yoga and official cuddle parties. And she is the author of the Bliss Mistress Guide to Transforming the Ordinary into the Extraordinary. So welcome. Hi, it's good to be, good to be welcome. And uh, as we were talking about, your recording studio is rather unique, but it's not, that doesn't surprise me since what I know about you, that you're, you're a unique being yourself. So. <laughs> Thank you. So I, I'm recording for people who don't have the visual. I, I record right now. I'm recording in my bathroom. It's the quietest room in the house. Good so. acoustics too, I bet. Yeah, it works. You're, you're a musician, you know, right? That's right. That's right. So I think you're here today to share with us some uh, things about the importance of touch. Um, but first, I just want to learn a little bit about you and how did you find yourself on this path of showing people toward basically toward more joy. Well, I, I grew up in a home where there was a lot of love, a lot of laughter, a lot of affection, and I had friends that were um, creative souls, and even more so now. I mean, you and I have known each other 20, 25 years, and you're one of my my creative, creativas, creative inspirations. So I realized that uh, life is a, is a roller coaster ride, um, a mix of joys and sorrows, and I would choose joy. Um, I remember years ago, I was on South Street. And there was a store that had bumper stickers that said something about choose joy. And I liked that idea that it's a choice. We're taught that we are happy when something happens or happy if something happens. Joy is uncaused. Joy is just something that bubbles up from the inside. And I took it a step further in my, I guess my 30s. I started reading the work of Joseph Campbell, who talked about the idea of following our bliss. And in my 40s, um, after having experienced some major losses, including the death of my husband um, in 1998, and then we lost our home to Hurricane Andrew in 92, so a lot of losses, I realized that um, bliss is not necessarily something we follow outside of us. It's something we contain. And the name Bliss Mistress was given to me by a friend, former lover, um, who when, when somebody called me a bliss master, he says, oh no, Bliss Mistress. So I took that on as my persona. And that's what I do now is I teach people how to live their bliss. Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> so one of the one of the ways you do this is through cuddle party. Yep. And I'm curious to hear about I, I know the people who originated cuddle party party, but I haven't heard too much about some of the people who have taken that course and really mm -hmm. run with oh, yeah. it after. Well, in 2004, for those that don't know, Reed Mahalko and Marsha Baczynski created this amazing workshop that has to do with communication, boundary setting, safe, nurturing, non-sexual touch by consent. And I went to one in 2005 when they were still in New York. And I just fell in love with the experience because having grown up in a touchy-feely family, it felt perfectly natural for me to cuddle with, in quotes, strangers. And I knew two things while I was there. I knew I wanted to bring it to the Philadelphia area, which is where I'm from. And we had never had cuddle parties here. So that summer, I invited Reed to come in and, and taught two, he taught two of them. And I also knew that I wanted to become a facilitator myself. And they were offering what they called foundations of facilitation. They still do. So if anybody is 
juiced up by hearing about this and they want to become a facilitator, that's the place to start is the foundations of facilitation. And what it is, it's a workshop for adults. Come to it dressed in your PJ, sweats, yoga clothes, comfy clothes. And um, after the first like half an hour, 40 minutes, which is called the welcome circle, which talks about the rules of cuddling, which talks about how we connect with each other, not just physically, but heart to heart, boundary setting, negotiating for what you want, saying yes to what you want, no to what you don't want in life. Then there's freestyle cuddling, which is spooning, snuggling, massaging, nuzzling, all with verbal consent. And today in particular, not physically this day, but this time period where the hashtag MeToo movement is in full blaze, it's really important to get verbal consent before you touch anybody, even if you have a history with them. Um, it's important to, to have them say yes to touch. So that's what the workshop does. It also brings together people that may seem like strangers in the beginning, but become what I call family of choice. Because when you get all cuddly and snuggly with people, um, our bodies release the, the hormone oxytocin, which is the, the cuddle hormone. It's the hormone that we exude um, when we have an orgasm. It's the hormone that nursing mothers exude. So imagine walking out of a workshop on an oxytocin high. And what I like to say is more oxytocin means less Oxycontin because it is definitely a painkiller. So it's one of my greatest joys to teach this workshop. And what I say is how cool is it to go to work dressed in PJs and get paid to touch and be touched and it's legal. <laughs> so that's my experience of it. I've done, I lost track after 300 of them. Um, two weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, I was in the DC area and co-facilitating with another um, prolific facilitator that you know, Monique Darling. And along with her partner, Peter, she and I facilitated a 400 plus person cuddle party. And hard to imagine. I mean, usually they're like 20, 30 people, four, more than 400 people in this huge ballroom doing this workshop. Absolute heaven. <laughs> That's wonderful. Where was that located? It was in Alexandria um, in the Westin Hotel. It was part of a conference called Interfusion, uh, which is a, a dance movement. Um, how would I describe it? Relationship positive, touch positive, sex positive. Although there was no, it wasn't a sexual conference. Um, but it's about honoring all of who we are. And that's what we did. This is the second time we did it. So nice. it's, it's remarkable. Mm -hmm. So do you see a pathway to giving this kind of an understanding of touch to people in the general population in the U.S.? Because I think yeah. people who come to cuddle parties are sort of already predisposed to mm -hmm. knowing something or being open. Right. Because I, I feel like we, uh, many of us or most of us associate touch with sex and mm -hmm. we are living in this fear of harassment and being harassed or being accused of harassment and right. a lot of us are just afraid of that. Yeah, right uh, uh, The truth is that the people do kind of skew left of center to come to cuddle party, although there have been some mainstream folks that have, that have attended. Um, out of the general public, I see myself as a, as a touch educator. And again, a lot of it has to do with consent. How many people either grew up, grew up either in families where touch was non-existent, limited, sexual, coercive, or abusive? I, I hate to say a lot of people, very few people had my experience where touch was by consent and it was, and it was nurturing and, and plentiful. So part of my, my role as an educator is to let people know that we have skin hunger that's just as important to meet as food hunger. You, think, you know, you think about the studies of all the babies who fail to thrive or who die from lack of touch. 
Um, and, and I just, you know, a couple of years ago, it occurred to me that I was already training myself to do this when I was in graduate school, where I did a paper. I'm, I'm, a, licensed, I'm a licensed social worker, so my degree is, is a social work degree. And I did a, a paper on the thera therapeutic practitioner's use of touch. You know, the use of touch is a therapeutic modality. Now, as a counselor, I'm really not supposed to get touchy-feely with my clients. Can't do massage with them, can't do Reiki with them, and I'm trained in both. But I find that sometimes if my clients need hand-holding, I'll ask them, can I, if they're crying, can I hold your hand? Can I sit next to you instead of opposite you? Um, some of my clients ask for a hug on the way out the door. And I'm very careful about it. You know, I, I have really good boundaries and I make sure that my clients do. But I don't adhere to the hard and fast rule that it's not okay to touch your therapy clients. People need comfort. And if safe, nurturing, consensual touch is part of that, I'm okay with that. And I, you know, I, like I said, I'm very, very conscious of boundaries. So that's one way that I educate. But anyway, when I was doing this study, um, I did some research and um, have, I can't even remember the, the gentleman's name, but he did a study with um, rhesus monkeys where um, he had the babies, um, had them um, with either a wire monkey mother that fed them, that had a bottle in them, or um, a cloth-covered monkey that didn't feed them. And every time they chose the cloth-covered comforting monkey over the monkey that nourished them physically. Uh, there was uh, a gentleman named Sidney Gerard who did a study where he observed people in cafes all over the world to see how many times they touched each other across the table. Um, I forget which countries, I think France was, was one of the big ones, maybe Italy. And in the United States, I think people touched each other maybe twice in an hour across the table. Not anybody I know, <laughs> obviously, because I, you know, I touch my friends, I touch people a lot and they, and they touch me. Uh, but I remember even back then being so blown out of the water by how scary touch was for people. And even now, when I talk about cuddle party, there are people that say, ooh, icky strangers, who wants to cuddle with strangers? And I tell them, if you go to a cuddle party, you're going to see people that you would run into in a supermarket checkout line. I have very nurturing friends that will hug me, but will not set foot in a cuddle party, no matter what, because it's too um, out of their comfort zone. So I try to make it as, as easy and comfortable for people as possible. Uh, right. So that's that's how I, how I do that, educating. Nice. And one of the rules of cuddle party that I happen to know is that you don't have to cuddle anyone ever. Nope. So nope. And it doesn't matter if you tell if I, some people, I imagine it's just the whole thing just sounds so weird that they right. even knowing that they don't. No, they, they won't even set foot there. And um, I tell people, especially if they're walking in with social anxiety, with discomfort over touch, with trauma history, there are a lot of walking wounded people in the world. So I start out by saying if you've had this kind of history, this is a good lab setting where you don't have to do anything, where you can say no to everything. And I actually have had people that have said that they just want to sit it out and watch, which is perfectly appropriate too. And then I add that I don't know what anybody's going to walk in with. So please treat each other the way you would want to be treated if you had a trauma history or if you had social anxiety. And I've never had anybody leave there feeling um, put upon or feeling um, like they, they, we create a sense of safety. That's the, the job of the facilitator. What I say is that I create the container, they create their own experience. Now, people have come back to me afterwards and said, even though you said it was okay to say no to, to touch, and again, non-sexual touch, um, I still couldn't. 
help me help me learn to do that because kumquati is more than just touch it's about teaching people those essential relationship skills that where you get to say body sovereignty nobody touches me without permission um, they, they get to say here's what i need and knowing they may not get it um, i had an experience at interfusion that was really good for me even as a cuddle party facilitator i had a bit of a twinge i was in a workshop where the facilitator asked us to walk around and choose a partner and we had no idea what the exercise was going to be beyond the, the first choice and i approached the man he shook his head and kind of waved me off and said no thank you and he went his way and i went mm. and then i said okay there's a reason for it immediately i found somebody else and not only did this man say yes to working with me he opened his arms and just kind of embraced me and i went oh and it turned out to be um a, uh, an exercise where we were dealing with the the um I don't know paradigm, but yeah, the paradigm of divine masculine, divine feminine. And this was a man who I allowed to take care of me. You and I have had this conversation before about gender roles and about how we present ourselves in the world. And this was a man, probably young enough to be my son, who took very good care of me and I let him. Now, had this first man said yes, I, I might not have had that same experience. So I ran into the, the first man at, at the 400 person cuddle party. And I said, I want to thank you for saying no to me because it opened, opened up the possibility for an even bigger yes. And that's what we like to say that what we consider rejection is really redirection. Um, so that's a skill that we teach a cuddle party. Mm -hmm. That's an important one too. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you for that. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> now I know that one of the other things that you do is that you Go to some very public places uh -huh. and like train stations and things like that, yep. and you offer free hugs. Yep. <laughs> so, what is that experience? Well, like? that okay. Now that you you mentioned um, uh, being in the mainstream, that's how I how and, and I hate to use the word indoctrinate. <laughs> that's how I educate, how I encourage people to literally embrace that part of themselves. So Valentine's Day weekend coming up now, five years, 2014, I took a group of friends to 30th Street Station in Philadelphia, and we did a free hugs flash mob. And uh, there were a dozen of us. And at 12 o'clock, a friend of ours started playing the song, um, give a little bit, you know, give a little bit, give a little bit. <laughs> and he walked yep, yep. around and we asked people, would you like a hug? And we had our free hug signs and all that. And most people said yes. And we, I estimate that within an hour, we hugged 200 people maybe. Now, this one man that we hugged was an Iraq war vet. And he was the only survivor of his platoon. And he had survivor's guilt. And he had thoughts of killing himself. And he told us that. And he said, then I met you people. Can I join you? So we gave him a sign. And he walked around with us. And it was like tears, of course. And I said, oh we've, got, you know, we've got something here. So friends started calling us hug mobsters. And I said, oh, mobsters, mafia, guns, right? I don't think so. But then I added the tagline, armed with love. And um, <laughs> like June it. of that year, I had a heart attack. And as part of my cardiac rehab, I walked around Doylestown, which is my nearest town. And I said, what if I combine the walking with the hugging and calling it a free hug stroll? And I've become a fixture on the streets of Doylestown. And people say, oh, you're the hug lady, or you're the hug queen. And um, a friend um, commissioned a sign, which a local artist made for me. And it's got a heart with all hands. The logo was created by another friend. And it says, hug mobsters armed with love. So since then, in the last five years, um, I've hugged people, as you said, train stations, bus, bus stations, airports. Um, I hugged my way across Ireland in May. Um, I go to rallies. And I'll tell you about the rally I went to yesterday, or the event I went to yesterday. 
uh, that would appeal to your listeners. I would also go to sporting events, I go to street fairs, any and everywhere. And I've got one coming up next weekend, actually, in, in Doylestown. Um, and it's, this will probably be in the past when this yeah, but airs. Then, but... <laughs> yeah, I do them all over the, I do them all over the place. Um, sure. It'll be on um, on the, the 9th of uh, February, but I do them every few months. So yesterday, um, in Lansdale, Pennsylvania, which is a Montgomery County, Pennsylvania suburb, um, an actor um, whose persona is Annie Christ, A-N-N-I-E, C-H-R-I-S-T, is a drag queen. And what, and I don't know what pronoun, gender pronoun they use, but they um, cre- did um, drag queen story time fun. So they brought two books, one of them called Sparkly Boy, and the other called something about the naked mole puts on clothes, and it's about diversity, difference, celebrating, you know, our uniqueness. And as you can imagine, <laughs> it stirred up a lot of stuff, uh, pro and con. Uh, there was, and I don't even know the name of the group, but there was a, um, an evangelical Christian group that planned to protest. So uh, our local progressive, left of center, political, whatever you want to call it, groups got together and said, okay, we're going to meet them with love. And it was certainly planned to be a nonviolent event. And it was, it was, there was no, no violence at all. So at 9.30 in the morning, nine, nine o'clock in the morning yesterday, when it was in the low double digits, <laughs> wow. we were the first. It, it, it has been cold it over was, the last couple of so days. So that for sure. speaks volumes about dedication. So um, there were probably like 20 or 30 of us there in the beginning, by the end of the three hours, uh, while the book, the readings were going on in the library, there are maybe 200 people. I don't know the exact, you know, how many how many of us were there, but we were chanting and singing, and, and um, it was it was like a festival. And there were signs, but there were no negative signs. There were no hateful signs. So unfortunately, on the other side of the street, um, you know, we were creating what was called a wall of love um, to kind of block that out. And there were, they had a bullhorn. They were yelling and screaming all kinds of hateful things. And I bet you didn't know uh, that feminists promote pedophilia. Did you know that? Oh, that's what they, they, that's, they, that's that. they had a sign. And that was held, that sign was held by, I don't even think the kid was a teenager. I, that was the only kid that I saw on that side, thank goodness. But they weren't smiling. They were, I mean, you would think that they were, they were proclaiming their faith people that were in in the love of god would be smiling and laughing and happy they were so angry and i could feel it like radiating off but bless the lansdale police that that stood in between us um and there was coverage there was a ton of media coverage so um, i did a lot of the free hug stuff there and people were thanking me so i was walking toward where these people were because i i was fully prepared to go hug them and we were advised not to engage, not to, you know, not to talk to them if, unless they approached us. So I approached these two men that I wasn't sure. They were kind of standing in the middle. And I asked one of the men, can I hug you? And he says, oh, I'm a married man. I said, I hug married people all the time. This is not about sex, dude. <laughs> you know, this is about love. <laughs> and we started talking. And it turns out that he was with that other group. And we had this conversation <clears throat> about his perception. He says, my sister is an out lesbian married to her, her partner and we love them, but we, you know, love, what is it? Love, love the sinner, hate the sin. So we got into this calm conversation and I truly believe that they believed that they were showing love. 
And so by the end of the day, and I did get to meet Annie, which was wonderful. I get to get to hear the storytelling. Um, they're sitting there asking the kids, you know, what do you think a drag queen does is? So this one little girl says, well, drag queen is a man or a woman who dresses up in fancy clothes, wears big wigs and lots of makeup. (laughs) 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 That was it. I mean, that's what, you know, Annie's like the six foot something dude with, um, um, uh, you know, wearing these very high platform boots and bright red and black polka dot dress with tons of makeup and a big poofy wig and tattoos, multiple tattoos. And these kids That's a really funny perfectly... definition too of, of drag queen. I think that's a great definition of drag yeah, queen. I like and that. It, was perfect. it wasn't about sex. It wasn't about luring kids into a particular lifestyle. It was an entertainer. And, yeah. and, this, and the kids just looked up adoringly at this person and I mean so I didn't get to hug it I didn't get to hug them and, I, and I'm like oh you know so but they, they live locally but I am going to be writing an article about it for the good men project where I'm going to be interviewing them but that but I did you know hugged at least 100 people so that's how I introduce people to the idea that touch is safe that it's not it's not scary and it's not ooh, icky strangers mm-hmm. did you ever feel inhibition about that because I no. feel like and I'm pretty open to lots of situations and I feel like in a going to an event I'm very comfortable and open but I don't know that I could walk into Penn Station with a sign that said free hugs and just be there like oh, that yeah. it's it's I mean it's awesome I admire yeah, it thank you but did you ever feel no. shy about it no I mean in the beginning I was concerned oh what if people say no usually they say no by saying now nah, I'm good and I'll say I know you're good but hug somebody last not last summer but the summer before a friend followed me around um, South Street and um at House Square with my free hug signs. Now it was easier because it was being videotaped and people wanted to be on video, you know, wanted to be videoed. Um, so very few people said no. Um, I'm not shy about it at all. If people say no, they say no. And the other really amazing thing, I haven't gotten sick. You know, I hug, I hug sweaty people. I hug people that probably have colds and the flu and I hug people that are homeless. Um, you know, my only concern is if somebody's got a cigarette, because I've had a heart attack and I don't even like being around cigarette smoke, I'll say, can you hold that to the side and I'll be happy to hug you. I'll put it down and I'll be happy to hug you. Right. <laughs> um, but, it, but no, I'm not, I'm not shy about it at all. It's, it's what I love to do. That's wonderful. Thank you. So last question, our, our main question is that here at the Leftscape, we talk about a thing called the blanket fort. And it's that feeling when the world is just all too much mm-hmm. and it could be personal or it could be just the intensity of the po- political landscape that's mm-hmm. happening. And you just need like a retreat from it all, you know? Mm-hmm. So spending a day or two like in the blanket fort yeah. is like taking a time out mm-hmm. um, from everything. So do you have a metaphoric blanket fort, anything that you yeah. return to? Well, the hu- hugging and the cuddling is definitely a part of my, my blanket fort. Going to the gym is my comfort. Staying literally under the blankets when I don't feel like going anywhere because my my role I'm a therapist so I'm with people a lot and there are times when I do get people down doesn't mean I don't love them it just means I need to recharge so that's one way that I do it writing is my is my blanket for it it's my retreat it's it's therapeutic for me and it's healing for people that read it so that's that's what helps me and massage I get a monthly massage and monthly pedicure. So that's my, oh, beautiful. yeah, that's my healthcare too. <laughs> cool. Cool. So you probably recommend those types of things to other people yeah, too. I mean, if that's what floats their boat, everybody's different. Oh, music. Um, I listen to WXPN, the University of Pennsylvania station, um, drumming, singing, dancing, being with kindred spirits. Those mm-hmm. are all good things. Whatever nurtures, right? Yep, absolutely. 
very very good so um what where can people find you what what do you have going okay. on in the next you know several months or anything okay. you want to let well, us know about okay real quick um i mentioned to you that i'm going to be teaching a class i'm putting it together now called the other end of the stethoscope listening to the heart in our care and it was created um with a friend who since died my friend andrea died of cancer on december 9th of 2018 she was a nurse I'm and I, um thank you um, i don't know if you if you ever met her but she's she's come to cuddle parties before so um, while we were talking, we decided we were putting together this workshop because one day every healthcare professional will be a patient. And we think that they need to know what it's like to be on the other end of the stethoscope. Again, I'm a medical social worker and a cardiac patient, and she was an, an RN and a cancer patient. So I'm going to be taking it to nursing schools and, and medical schools, hospitals, any place where medical professionals work or get trained. So I'm looking for opportunities to do that. And um, I don't have anything scheduled yet, but I just decided I'm gonna be doing it in her memory and her honor. So people can reach me via my website, which is www.opti-mystical.com or I'm on Facebook under Edie Weinstein, that's E-D-I-E-W-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. Very good. And we'll have your links on online and everything Perfect. and so people can find you and your information. Perfect. So thank you very much. My pleasure, sweetie pie. Mwah. All Bye. right. Take care. Bye.